0: In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavic. In this episode, it's Nick's annual show about prep, chemicals, tools, equipment, coatings, and setting proper expectations for decks,
1: fences, and other outdoor wood projects. All right, well, good morning everybody. Uh, I am Nick Slavic. I'm the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I'm also the host of this show, Ask a Painter Live. It is a weekly live live Facebook show and Instagram show where I use my almost three decades of experience as a craftsperson, a trades business entrepreneur to ask any questions, answer any questions and give you some perspective of what it's like to be a craftsperson and and have the lifestyle of a craftsperson who's running a business. So today is a very special show. Uh, Every single year, I end up doing a everything you ever needed to know about decks. And so in Minnesota right now, it's still really nasty. In fact, I normally like to do this show outside with all of our equipment, our chemical cart, our stains, our coatings, our our applicators but it is about 20 to 25 mile an hour winds. It is cold. It is nasty. It is wet. And so we are we moved it inside today and we're going to go over our SOP. And of course, I'm going to give something to you uh, at the end of this. So I like this time of the year because in other parts of the country, they're already going strong with exteriors. Right now in Minnesota, we're barely getting a start in it because it's cold and wet and, and nasty here. So uh, we're going to go over this today. And I have, uh, as we always do, some stuff for you. But before we jump into it, I want to talk about the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association. So people ask me, well, what is the PCA and why should you join it? Well, the PCA to me, if I had to summarize in one sentence, it's the largest group of the most interesting thought leaders in a trades-based sector that are all willing to share everything they do with you. It's an absolutely awesome community and a lot of um, what I'm doing now, why I'm doing it, how I'm doing it has has been given to me by the perspective lent by the people in the PCA. And it's an amazing group of people who are willing to give you the shirt off their back. Now, the people are the main asset for me, but there's also a bunch of cool stuff too, which is health insurance. If you want discounted group health insurance uh, uh, for you and people in your business, the PCA now has that this year it's taken a long time to enact but we wanted an immediate value something where you can immediately earn back your membership money with and that's there for you the PCA is also the holder of the most robust training technical and business training in the industry so we have a series of many many videos in native in native Spanish speaking, English, uh, about everything you've ever wanted to know about the technical side of painting. If you're a member, they're free to you and you can use them for your company to train your people, which is one of the big pain points of our industry. Uh, Also new this year is the Business Accelerator Program, which is a pet project of Jason Paris and mine. Uh, We are hugely passionate about professionalizing this industry through professionalizing each individual business. Um, You don't need to be a big business. Professional doesn't mean big. Professional can mean I'm a one person out that knows exactly what to charge, a going rate that'll actually help me get a retirement, have a sellable business, uh, charge accordingly to take into account the risk. If you want to grow a larger business, there's a lot of information there for you as well too. So um, professionalizing this industry is very important because a lot of people have the struggles of the codings and the science and the variables, but then they also overlay the, the struggles of business on top of that. And we wanna make sure that people have enough time, money, bandwidth in order to be able to practice the craft. And that is charging accordingly, making sure your clients get what what you promise to them, Uh, having all the systems in a business to run, whether you're one person or a hundred people, very important to us. So, all right. Uh, If you are interested in the PCA, there's a link below. Do not sleep on the in-person events. very shortly we will be announcing a a summer version of our expo a smaller uh, version of the flagship sort of expo there but it's going to be a monstrous summer event it's going to be here in minnesota with a lot of people you know and love and buckle up it is going to be a wild time and uh, for those of you who have never been to a larger pca painting contractors association event my god are the people there fun knowledgeable and willing to share so okay let me make sure we are Looks like we're going good. Uh, all right, we're already getting some questions in here. Good morning, everybody. Let's hop right in here. And basically, what I do is uh, when I do training in my company, uh, we have two things we have SOP checklists and we have SOP training guides. They're basically the same thing, the steps are all the same. Um, my deck SOP has about 16 steps from when you drive up to the house to when you drive away. Uh, complete but obviously there's a lot of stuff going on in there uh, in the morning Uh, excuse me in the uh, in the day now uh, what I do is I take each one of those steps and I actually create a PowerPoint presentation with very specific stuff that we need to train about it so basically what you guys are gonna see today is exactly how I train my people on the standard operating procedure for prepping restoring brightening stripping staining decks but as we all know A deck is the most popular touchstone in this area. It's fences, it's pergolos, it's play sets. It's even um, natural colored cedar, pine, and other wood siding. These processes we use universally for all this stuff. So, all right, thanks everybody for the questions. What I'm going to do is I'm going to rock it through a little bit of the standard operating procedure, show you some stuff, and then we're going to go back and answer questions. So, if you have a burning question about decks, play sets, fences, siding, anything like that, I'm here to answer it. The coolest thing about this is that um, Cabot is underwriting this show today. And they come to me every year and they say, hey, listen, you know, you've been using this stuff for 20 or 30 years. Go through our catalog, pick out what you like, pick out what you use regularly, overlay it on your SOP. And do this so we're going to do uh the deck sop with a sprinkling of cabot throughout to show you on different steps on different projects uh, for different results colors finishes i'm going to show you exactly how to select what you need to do the theories are completely universal and i want to personally thank uh, cabot for underwriting this show and allowing me to do this with all of you guys on an awesome saturday morning here so okay as always you guys know this I'm going to give you my standard operating procedure. I'm also going to give you my info sheet uh, for exteriors. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people have big contracts. I'm not a big fan of these 18 page legalese where you kind of almost lose the trust of the client because they're trying to figure out like, what are you trying to protect yourself against? You know, if you have a legal piece of paper, a contract that you make clients sign akin to like an Apple contract, They're not going to read it. They're not going to understand it. And in the end, they're going to say, well, hey, I didn't know you're going to do this. And then you say, well, hey, you signed this thing. And that's never a good thing. If you have to go to the contract and hold it up and wave it that you signed it, something's gone wrong. So one of the most important things about decks that people don't always talk about. Yes, we talk about sane and stain and sanders and brushes and pressure washers and chemicals. But I've had more success with decks, pergolas, fences, play sets, things like that, when we've set proper expectations than when we've increased the coding science with all this stuff here. So I'm gonna get into these questions, but let's go through this first. I'll show you uh, this at the end, but that's my SOP. That's my info sheet that we actually give to clients and have them sign that lays the groundwork for this uh, and sets proper expectations. And I'll have that for the end uh, at you again. So step one of a 16 step SOP is, Uh, The greeting and the verification. So when a crew shows up on site, uh, we want them to greet the client, obviously. And we're there to verify the scope. Where is the deck? What are we doing? What color is the stain? What is the prep process? Is there any special notes? Things like that. And basically, we just want to verify that um, if the client's there, we walk through it with them and say, okay, we're doing this deck in this finish. Here's the process we're going to do. And then also what I do, too, is I have my people put out a yard sign at that time and what you're seeing there that colorful form on the sheet is actually called our jump sheet it's a work order and we use it to say here's the client's address here's the budget for the project here's the deck here's the coding here's what you're going to be looking for the color the finish and so when people show up to the shop they know what stain to grab and things like that now the next one is creating a project plan and this is something we've been going deep into the last couple of weeks in of my business because it's critical um, to make sure that the client gets what you promised them make a happy client and also have a profitable job I believe you have to have a plan for that job and most of that revolves around listen if that's a 40-hour job what are you going to do this week with your 40 hours to make sure that this thing is under budget so the crew leader is responsible for that Um, the project plan and the jump sheet work together we actually enter in um, the, uh, the hours that we're going to use in our project plan and it auto calculates to the front of our jump sheet and we basically have to just determine if we want to get this project under budget how are we going to use our time best taking into account washing dry time, sanding, prep, staining, cleanup, all that other sort of thing. We basically create daily budgets uh, and then hourly goals. And then, yeah, and and these are cool things because we use uh, G-sheets. We can actually work virtually with any crew if they need help there. Step three, before pictures. This is absolutely critical uh, with these projects. Not so we can just use them for marketing like you see here, but on exteriors, we found that there are There are tons and tons and tons of previous stain splatters, paint splatters, uh, uh, damage, uh, grease from grills, things like that. Not so much on interiors, but on exteriors. If houses have been painted or decks have been stained before, we document all the previous damage, all the previous paint splatters, stain splatters, because we just want to keep honest people honest. And if a client comes to us and said, hey, you know, you got a, a couple drips of stain on the side of my house. We can say, well, okay, let's go to the before pictures. If the before pictures show that splatter of stain, we can say, Hey, listen, client, we appreciate that. We're happy to try to fix it for you, but here's the before picture. And we did not add that stain there. How would you like us to proceed? Or if we don't see that stain there, we say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We did get a drip of stain on your siding. Let's clean it off. No problem. Thanks for letting us know one of those things. So it's very important too, when you do before and after pictures, if you can do it for multiple uses. Uh, I take pictures in a way that I can use them for marketing, like you see there. So you want to get the whole structure and then you want to zoom in and, and, and identify specific things. If there's some rot that you didn't see before washing, if there's damage, if there's that, you know, that greasy spot from the grill, if something else, if there's a railing loose, something like that, you want to document all that stuff and, and load it up to the, uh, our Google Drive for that. Step four is setting up a shop so what we do everything that we have is a system of totes uh with gear and we unload them we usually drag it around the back of the house because it's a deck and a lot of times what we'll end up doing is just setting it under a shady tree uh you know somewhere out of the way a lot of people put the stuff under the deck that's fine but obviously if you're washing you're going to get that all wet sometimes if you're sanding and staining it's it's just in your way down there so we kind of just like a nice little shady spot somewhere close out of the way and get that done um Daily crew meeting. So one of the things that we stress, too, is, you know, when you make your project plan, the crew leader should gather up everybody and say, hey, listen, you know, by 11 o'clock today, we got to have this thing um, prepped, sanded, and ready to stain. Then we'll have lunch, and then we'll stain it this afternoon and clean up. But we got to be out of here today. One of those things. And they'll basically give... it's, it's really easy to take a project plan that's got a lot of details in it. Like there might be 10 little things you have to overlay onto a week. And it's very easy uh, for a crew leader to basically take a crew, uh, uh, their apprentices and say, hey, listen, we got a big project plan here. I got the whole details down, but here's one goal. we got to prep it by 11 a.m. today. That's sort of the goal of that. Then we move the client's personal items. So here's here's one of the things that we actually spell out really, really intentionally in our info sheet, which is, We will always move your stuff off the deck so we can wash it and stain it, but we will not come back and move it on because that entails a whole nother trip back because if you think about it, when you prep the deck, when you stain it, you can't immediately move everything back on. We want to be helpful. We're willing to do a 50-50 thing where we move it off, they move it on, but... We cannot come back another day. That is kind of a costly endeavor to do that. Now, obviously, if grandma and grandpa don't have uh, the uh, the wherewithal to move a big heavy grill back on the deck, obviously we're going to take care of them. But again, it's setting proper expectations of, listen, if you want to move all the stuff off and on, we're fine with that, but we're happy to move it off and, and do that sort of thing. So, and again, There's lots of little tricks to this. When you move furniture off, grills off, things like that, you don't put it in the middle of the grass in the middle of the backyard, because they're gonna probably wanna mow that lawn somewhere in the days uh, that you're there. So we put it in the landscaping rocks. We put it somewhere where it's not gonna be in the way of the people obviously you don't want to put it under the deck because when you wash a deck and restore a deck there's going to be some gentle chemicals and there's going to be some wood chaff some things that you clean off and dirt and if that settles on all that patio furniture you'll be washing patio furniture for for the next week we cut trees and bushes back uh, for access and safety (coughs) so um, one of the things we again spell out very closely is that listen please, we would like you to have all your trees and shrubs pruned back. They're your trees, you're your shrubs. You're probably going to take really good care of those. But if they aren't for safety reasons, if there's a tree or a big bush obstructing the side of the house, we have to physically cut that back so we can get to it. We can't have trees and shrubs touching a deck or a house or something like that. And we actually have an hourly rate uh, assigned to it if it takes a lot of time. Like we have chainsaws, we have loppers, we have shears and things like that. If it's just a couple branches, we never charge anybody. But if it's one of those things where there's those arborvitis or those cedars all over the house and we have to trim them back, We'll kind of say, hey, client, you know, we're going to do this really delicately and we're going to you know, make sure we don't change the shape of them. But we do need to actually get this away from here, because if we can't place a ladder safely or, at, or if it's rubbing against the siding, it's not something we can do here. And then obviously we, we bag up all the all the trimmings, the leaves and everything else and, and usually stack them by the side of the road uh, just for pickup. Now. Uh, the, the chemical restoration process. Uh, boy, is this an interesting thing. There is a version where you basically take a pressure washer, crank it all the way up, only use pressurized water and take off the dirt and the old wood. That's fine. 90% of all decks get done like that. The problem with that is you're using three, four, five, six thousand 6,000 PSI water. And think about this. The tire in your vehicle probably has 40 PSI that's and that'll hold up a car a pressure washer will shoot three thousand four thousand five thousand six thousand psi uh at a deck and a lot of times i see people really ruin decks uh, especially when they take out a red nozzle which is basically a laser beam and they can kind of write your name in cursive on the deck so again this is the way that uh, we did it uh 10 14 years ago but you start getting introduced to soft wash systems where the theory is you know um Pressure washer only takes high pressure and with brute force, you're basically removing um, the wood and the dirt on a deck with soft washing you're taking the pressure down but you're upping the chemicals, so the chemicals do the work and you use a lighter lighter pressure you're barely removing anything with the pressure you're basically just removing the chemicals and the dirt. And that's what we've been moving to and in fact this year uh, we're making more strides in increasing the potency of the chemicals. We obviously don't want to damage the house plants uh, and make them uh, you know, bio-friendly and things like that, but we're slowly, every year, we slowly upgrade uh, the potency of the chemicals. So it does more of the work, so the pressure doesn't have to. But the general idea is um, if there's an old coating that you need to strip, there's two ways to do that. You can mechanically strip it or you can chemically strip it. Mechanically stripping, it's pretty easy. Get out a sander, uh, respirator, eye protection, ear protection. Just go to town, buckle in because you're going to be there a long time, depending on the uh, on the on the coating on there. A chemical one does a lot better. Now, the biggest thing that people need to know, uh, you can go to a home center. Even Cabot has a stripper there. These strippers typically only work for oil-based coatings. You need a completely different chemical to strip a solid color water-based coating. So think about all the, uh, if somebody has taken uh, just latex paint and put it on a deck or a solid color acrylic stain or uh, any sort of thing like that. Most off-the-shelf strippers are of a, it's not that they're not strong enough. They're a different chemical. There's one chemical that attacks a oil-based coating. Those are normally the ones here, like you can see it on my screen, Uh, the stripper there, attacks and removes a oil-based coating. You're gonna need a different solvent. You're gonna need a different chemical in order to strip water-based stuff. Water-based solid color coatings on decks are the hardest to get off and the most time consuming. So it's not as simple as spray some stripper on, spray it off of the pressure washer, wow, brand new wood. You could be there for weeks getting every little thing. People never have trouble getting the tops of the handrails and the floorboards because they're flat and they're there. Everybody has problems with spindles, the nooks, the crannies, the screw heads. Setting proper expectations is big. I There is never a scenario in my professional life where there is a solid color. Like, let's say somebody just t- took paint and painted their deck and it's all solid. It's in the cracks. It's in the screw holes. It's in the gaps between the boards. If that client looked at me and said, I want 100% of this off and I will say, there's no way I can do that for you. That means getting dental tools out and digging it out of every crack. And if, and if they say, I don't want to find one trace of this old paint on here, I'd say that's setting proper expectations. I cannot accomplish that for you. We would basically have to rebuild your entire deck. It would be cheaper because I would be here for two months digging this out. But there is ways that you can sort of like say, hey, you know, instead of going from a solid color to another clear stain, maybe we can get most of it off. Uh, and in a reasonable amount of time, and then use a stain with a little more pigment where you can still see a little bit of the wood, but it also does hide a little bit of that remnants of that solid. So the basic idea is in prepping a deck is you can certainly dry prep a deck, dry prep. You can just take a sander, sand it off, whatever, but there's going to be some latent um, dirt and, and dust and things like that in there. So the general theory is we like to first wash a deck and then sand a deck to make it smooth and then put a coat of something uh, or two coats of something on it. If you don't need a stripper if you're not trying to remove all the uh existing coating what you can do is brighten the wood <coughs> typically especially with a, uh, a wood brightener from cabot, it's an oxalic acid based product and the oxalic acid actually works with the tannic acid of the wood when the wood turns old and gray and there's dead wood fibers the oxalic acid will actually turn those turn that wood back to that bright cedar and the the typical idea is with a stripper you don't most strippers off-the-shelf strippers you don't dilute them they're just a paste you put it on sometimes you even cover it with plastic to keep it wet and working with a uh, with a uh, brightener typically uh, like the one from Cabot comes uh, concentrated and you actually mix one gallon to four gallons so you take a five gallon bucket you put one gallon of the brightener in there fill the bucket up it's perfectly diluted um, if you have a hot and windy and dry day a little tip here is to take a, a bunch of dish soap and put it in there as well. Dish soap will actually make it sticky, and it, and when you spray it on the spindles, if it's just water, sometimes it doesn't uh, stick there. If you have a hot, dry, and windy day, you need to increase the stickiness of it. And sometimes just a detergent, a dish soap, too, can do that. But if you have a, a you know if you have a fifty or sixty degree day with no wind, this stuff is going to be awesome all on its own. But again, just something that I've picked up over the years. Uh, but the general idea is, if you use a stripper. The, they are they're different levels on the pH scale. So a stripper will turn the wood a very different pH and you may have to write that pH with a brightener. So a stripper, after you use a stripper, you actually have to use a brightener to balance that pH. And then you have to do a really good job of um, of washing all of the chemicals off. Also, you gotta be really careful. The, the wood strippers will also alter some finishes or some substrates around the deck and they may also damage grass and plants. But the trick there is, Soak everything down, prep the house, plastic it all off, nice, sturdy tape and plastic and bushes. A lot of times what we'll do is soak everything down, sometimes even put plastic over just to divert all the water there uh, and then rinse everything really, really well. So you don't kill any grass and stuff later. But yeah, if you're thinking about stripping, if you're thinking about brightening, the best thing is just doing a test and A lot of times, you know, what you guys are seeing here, these are uh, test boards, which we actually test out chemicals and coatings here. And you can see uh, that this is the gray wood that decks normally start off with. And then you can see I marked off a spot here. And then uh, this is actually just an oxalic acid brightener. So you can see when you take a, a grayish kind of deck, you apply an oxalic acid, it turns that lighter which is a really cool thing because otherwise you're physically grinding or pressure, pressure washing wood uh, off of a house. All right. Let me make sure good morning, everybody. I'm going to go through some, uh, some questions here in just a little bit. Uh, But this is basically, so as a professional, you can, you can apply uh, strippers and, um, and brighteners with brushes, or a garden sprayers, things like that. But obviously we want to be efficient and quick. So we actually created our own chemical carts. They are garden carts where we have a 12 volt, uh, excuse me, a 120 volt pump. Uh, and it's actually a really cool sort of thing. Uh, we mix our chemicals on there. We have a wand and it's a low pressure but it'll, it'll disperse about five gallons of chemical in probably five to 10 minutes, give or take. So we have a nice pressure washer wand. You can see we use specialized nozzles, soaker nozzles, and we mix up our chemical. There's a 12-volt pump there. We run an extension cord and we can soak an entire deck in a matter of about five minutes shooting that chemical everywhere. And it's very important to keep that chemical wet to keep it working. So that's how we do that. So this is, this is applying brightener and let's see if we can get the video to sync here. Sometimes this thing wants to work, sometimes it doesn't want to. So I'll wet the old whistle up. So you can hear that actuated pump working here. And again, it's not 3000 PSI, it's probably only about 50 PSI, but we're soaking, soaking, soaking. We want to just, you know, we want to get that chemical into the wood and leave it wet see Alex there our most senior craft person is making sure all the posts and everything are all soaked up and the, what's cool about those 120 volt pumps too is that they don't run all the time it's not like a sump pump they're sort of like uh, or a, uh, a drain pump they're they're actuated by the pressure so when you take your hand off the off the uh, uh, trigger it'll actually stop pumping too so you can see spindles first you went around the outside because you're shooting chemical all over the deck you actually soak the entire deck and then you come to the inside and make sure you hit all those little things because you think by soaking it's going to like get everything, but you really want to be intentional about touching everything. So we're not we're not damaging the wood. We're not even moving uh, removing dirt or anything else. This is basically just a very efficient way to apply your chemicals so you can get through decks faster. In the olden days, when I first started experimenting with deck restoration, I was using a garden sprayer, you know, the, the pump, and then you spray. It took forever, and by the time I got from one end to the deck, it was actually drying in the sun. So with this method, you can soak an entire deck really, really quickly. And of course, with the chemical cart, it's all on wheels. So it's a really cool thing. You just pull it alongside of the house, plug it in, mix your chemicals, and you go. Okay, and then this is really cool. So the goal of what we've done with our deck process over the years is to take the pressure down so we don't damage the wood and increase the potency of the chemicals. And one other trick that I found over the years is that you can replace a ton of pressure and wood damaging pressure washing by scrubbing. So our standard operating procedure is actually soaking the deck scrubbing it agitating it with a brush and then lightly rinsing it off with a pressure washer and i'm going to show you this deck this is our typical deck in minnesota it's cedar people want it to be natural cedar it gets dark it gets gray it gets weird all the chemicals have been applied to this deck and a person along with me is going to scrub it and then we're going to wash it and show you the immediate difference in this thing ah! As you can see, the deck is soaked and the chemicals are nice and saturated because you can see it suds again. So that's basically, now you can see what we didn't do is just forcefully um, forcefully remove this stuff. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you that we don't use some turbo nozzles, some wobble tips, some other things uh, depending on the deck, but our goal is always to lessen the pressure, increase the agitation and the chemicals in order to get a better product and and keep the wood good. Um, and same thing here, just like painting, you want to be super methodical with your thing. And this is um, a, a time-lapse video of me actually pressure washing a deck. And you can see kind of left to right, forward and back, and you're slowly moving all that stuff off there. So this is one of the more satisfying decks I ever did. It's for a great client of ours. It's up in Minneapolis. And uh, the deck in turned super, super dark. And so this was this was one of the best before and afters we ever did, where simple, simple chemicals, a little bit of a scrub and just gentle, gentle washing and uh, all that stuff comes off. It's super nice to see. So yeah, and then washing the surrounding areas. One of the things that people forget, which can actually cause a lot of problems is when you wash a deck, you're gonna you're gonna remove and sort of like weaponize a lot of dirt and dead wood fibers and they're gonna get all over so on this particular house oh go back let's see if we can see if we can play the video so on this one on, a, on like a brown sided house if you don't if you if you leave all that wood dirt on the side of the house, it'll actually do itself there. So the last step in the washing process. because you can see here this is actually me doing it. We wash the house top and bottom, all that wood channel off, make sure the concrete is clean, make sure the floor is clean, and everything else. So if all that stuff gets pushed out into the landscape. Have to to okay, now the next critical step here is checking for moisture. Now data plus feelings now a lot of times people say nick how long does it take a deck to dry after you wash it and i'll say check it with the moisture meter sometimes it's a day sometimes it's five days um in this kind of weather here it's 25 mile an hour winds it is green and gray skies it is pouring rain it may take weeks for a deck to dry but use science a multimeter excuse me a digital moisture meter is your friend 15 or less and that wood is good to stain so we test them before we stain every time Uh, Our standard process is to two readings on the handrails, two readings on the floor. The spindles typically stay dry. So if you only walk up and test a spindle, those will give you sometimes a false reading. I like the flat spots, the handrails and the floor. And if it's 15% less, rock and roll. Moving on. And then what another thing we also do uh, is we upload the images of the moisture meter to the Google Drive. So if anything goes wrong and a client would say, hey, listen, it, it, that deck was wet when you stained it. Um, you know, I want you to come back and redo the whole thing. And if it says, hey, that deck was 13 percent. Technically, we followed all the technical data sheets there. Let's figure out if something else went wrong, something like that. Just keeping honest people honest. And also, I included these two little images down in the corner. My head is actually covering one of them. But uh, for giggles one time. I went out there and I tested the shed and it said 39% moisture. I was like, oh my God, that is a ton of moisture. I've never seen a reading that high. I walked over to the tree right next to the shed and poked it into a living tree and it said 39% moisture. So sometimes these outdoor structures, if they're not given enough sun and wind and air and things like that, they can have as much moisture as a living tree in them uh, even days later after you wash them. So that's why we love the moisture meters. And every exterior crew has them. Sanding, this is another thing too. So, typically, what we've done is um, we want to be really careful to set proper expectations with sanding. If you say, we're going to sand this deck, uh, the client's going to hear, you're going to take this all down to beautiful bare wood. There's not going to be any trace of anything else, and we're going to move on. We're very careful to say, listen, it's going to take a week if we have to get in all the spindles and everything else and remove all the coating. So, what we do is we tell them, listen, we are going to spend our time sanding only to remove any furry wood from the washing process. So that means tops of handrails and deck floor. If we furred up any other wood, we will sand it. But what the sanding process is not there for is to polish the deck, make it into a piece of furniture or to remove every little coating. If you want us to do a full strip, we're happy to do that but that has to be a separate line item and discussed. What we do is make the wood smooth to the touch, smooth to the feel. And basically this is, let's see if the video can work here. But it's a very simple process, and any random orbital sander would do. I'm personally a fan of the surf prep stuff. But, yeah. Once the deck is washed, But basically, you just run a a hand sander over that stuff and just get the fur off of it, things like that. Now, uh, a tip that I learned years and years ago, and this is actually a pretty cool thing. We actually use a leaf blower to get rid of all the dust and stuff after we sand. And this is a super, uh, super fast way to do it. Uh, We used to use just brooms and whisk it off and things like that. But now uh, we use leaf blowers and sometimes they're gas, sometimes they're electric, but it is a awesome way to very quickly and very efficiently remove all of the dirt on there like that. Site prep. So after we have our deck uh, ready to go, it's been sanded, it's been clean. We're ready to start applying stain. Most of them have concrete pads or something under here. We actually have uh, an image here of a deck that had a shed underneath it too. So we wanna cover all that, make sure we have a nice clean job site, cover up landscaping, things like that. Uh, so that we don't affect it with any of our our coatings and then we apply the coating so this isn't as simple as slapping some stain on there's actually a science to this and we work in two-person teams and we do spindle and railing first and floor second and we're very careful not to get a whole bunch of drips on the floor typically what we'll do is we'll lay some uh, canvas down because if you are working with transparent stains um, you get some drips on and you stain over it, those drips still might show up. They may not all blend in. So you have to be really careful with that stuff. So typically what we do with a two person team is one person on the outside of the railing, one person on the inside, and you follow each other around to keep that nice wet edge and stain. Because you can get crazy lap marks on, on spindles, on railings, and especially floors. If you, if you do boards halfway all the way across and then come back and do another thing, you're going to get crazy, crazy lap marks. So that's why we work in those teams like that to try to maintain that wet edge. And this is this is one of the keys easier said than done the way that you get the most beautiful and longest lasting deck is to saturate it 100 percent, and also keep a wet edge so you can see craftsperson alex here he's taking only a couple boards and he's going all the way across there what he's not doing is is coming down halfway on the boards and doing one section of the deck and this he'll take three to five boards depending on the stain the wood um, the uh, the temperature, the wind that day and take those boards all the way across, pick another couple, come back all the way across, all the way across like that. And fully saturating that wood will give you the best possible, longest lasting finish, putting as much stain as you can on that wood. And then evening it out with a brush or stain or a uh, or sprayer or roller. And you can see uh, this is a craftsperson, Eric here too. We do the boards like that. And then you kind of stain yourself out of the deck like that. And, And just again, keeping that wet edge. We do all the railings first, get those done. Remove the canvas, maybe give it another blowdown if we have any dust on there. And then methodically do the floor, obviously from the back of the deck down through the stairs and out. And so when we work in a two person team, sometimes when we get to the stairs, It's one person does the stairs and the other person doesn't really have anything to do. They can clean up the job site and some other stuff, but we've actually devised a system where two people come down the stairs, right, right in front and behind each other. And the first person does all the risers on the stairs and the next person does all the treads. So you can actually do half the work each and keep moving and then finish together there. So. It's a really cool process. And then obviously clean up the job site. We bag up all the trash. We put it in the client's trash can. Uh, we take any, uh, any rags that have oily stain on them, dunk them in water. Uh, that's a safety thing they can spontaneously combust if you just toss them in an enclosed area. And uh, we do not replace the client's items at this time because the deck is still wet and uh, we'll ruin the finish. And then job close out. So crew leader, we got to label the paint cans. We're gonna leave them a nice clean can uh, with date and use and formula and all this other stuff. Uh, We're going to leave that can for them in the garage somewhere uh, enclosed. We're going to take after images of the deck. And then we're going to update our jump sheet and project plan, which is how much stain did you use? How many hours did you use? And then close out the project. And then we load all the gear in the vehicle. So obviously this is a picture of the back of our van. And yes, this doesn't have to specifically deal with deck staining, but our SOP, I want it to be all encompassing from the second you drive up to a house to the second you drive away. And then applicators. So... Now that we've gone through the kind of standard operating procedure, uh, let's talk about methods of application. So, we've done we've gone through an evolution of this stuff. So we always use brushes. Brushes are a super effective way uh, to get in there and saturate the wood, but they can be a little slow. But they are very very effective. Last year I did some experiments with mini rollers, and it's okay. It's good. Uh, they really find their um, they really have their forte when you have big large flat areas with not a lot of Craggy wood and things like that. The the bigger, the flatter, the smoother the area, the better that uh, mini rollers do. Um, with solid colors, where you have to saturate and fill, kind of like a paint, they work really well too. But typically, we we've been um, we've been evolving uh, to a spray operation and back brush operation too. So this summer. Uh, The standard operating procedure is basically going to be last year. We did a whole bunch of experiments with methods of spraying and it has to do with, you know, the spraying and the application is not the difficult thing. It's controlling the environment because uh, When you're spraying thin coatings like a transparent stain, it can kind of get in the air and waft around and we want to be really careful of getting it on houses. So we're trying to figure out a way to prep the house efficiently apply the stain with a sprayer so that we can go through the job faster, but also apply a lot of stain and really saturate that wood, uh, but still give the client a really, really good, um, um, you know, outcome in the end, but do it efficiently too. So I think this year we really got it dialed in last year and we're going to be spraying and then back brushing and back rolling a lot of our stains. Coatings. So the general idea with coatings for decks is, and we're going to talk about setting proper expectations. The general idea uh, with coatings is to me, Well, people will say, what's the best stain? What do you use? And I will first say, what does the client want for a finish or a color? And that'll dictate what stain you use. And for me, stains are only on a continuum of translucent, semi-transparent, semi-solid, and then solid. And there's a whole bunch of other little versions of that, but I like the theory of something that you can see through a lot to things that you can't see through at all. And I would always start the conversation off with the client to say here's what's on your deck currently what do you want it to look like and then i will dictate the finish for it so you can see this is that deck in minneapolis that awesome before and after on the screen there totally black mildew dirt craziness and this is uh, the middle picture is after our washing and sanding process super simple awesome and then this is after a coat of wood tone uh stain to give it that natural look again so when somebody says i want that natural look i want that cedar i don't want it to change at all i don't want dark brown i don't want red i want that beautiful cedar look that's it probably 80 percent of our decks are that finished there so we spend a lot of time messing with that translucent wood tone finish like that and uh typically uh these last one to two years and i'm going to show you a technical data sheet that actually says that uh and This is another thing of the selling points with decks is, and sometimes a friction point. Well, clients will say, I'm sick of staining this deck every three to five years. Give me something that'll last 10 years. Say that doesn't exist. That does not exist at all. Uh, Depending on what you want, the more translucent the stain, the less life it's going to have because it has less things to, to block UV. The more solid it is, you don't see the wood anymore, but it does have more protection. So you tell me on that timeline where you want. The next level of opacity uh, would be uh, something with a little more um, uh, body to it. So like an Australian timber oil or a Cabot gold Um, Australian timber oil um, has a uh, it's a hybrid uh, sort of finish. It penetrates. It's it's really like the uh, wood tone deck and siding stain, the Cabot gold is basically kind of like an exterior spar varnish almost it's a two coat system and we've used it on decks before and it does give you that shiny kind of varnish look and if that's what clients are looking for that's a product that's super effective for that semi-transparent stain next level of opacity uh this has it's 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 pretty transparent but it does also have the ability to be in a bunch of different colors so if somebody says i want a red deck I want a green deck or I want a gray deck, but I also want to see all the wood grain. Semi-transparent is the next thing that can impart some color beyond just a wood tone and then also give you a little, a little more protection. Typically two to four years on that, depending on the color and the exposure. Semi-solid, uh, you can see the pictures here. Uh, semi-solid is kind of my fixer for decks that, oh, let's say it's between 10 and 30 years old. It's a whole bunch of weird coatings and prep has been done to it. It's a little beat up. Maybe there's moss, like on this one, there's actually moss and lichen growing on it. And <clears throat> wood has a life and it gets kind of craggy. And this person said, listen, we're not quite yet for ready for a solid color stain. We wanna still see some wood, but there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. The wood is a little darker and even with chemicals, you can only brighten it so much. So we pick a semi-solid, which you can see the wood through it, I'll show you an example here this would be transparent here wood tone semi-transparent you can still see some of the uh, some of the wood uh, but it's a penetrating thing and then this would be the exact color that's actually on that deck so uh, you can see the wood grain through it it penetrates it's not a film forming finish but do it still preserves a little bit of that wood but it's got a little more opacity to hide and blend in all those kind of weird areas. So you can see the before and after. We did brighten up that deck pretty well. We got all the moss and lichen off. We sanded it and then applied this nice, rich brown stain that'll kind of bring everything together. Semi-solid stain. Oh, yeah, I should say two, <coughs> two to five years on decks typically. And again, setting proper expectations. We're going to talk about that later. But it really depends on the client, on what they determine to be. Something that needs to be recoded. And clients sometimes want it perfect. So that means every year. And sometimes clients say, listen, when it turns into a basket case again, we'll do it. And that could be seven to 10 years. Uh, fences. So this is kind of my go to for uh, fences as well. Uh, Semi solid stain, it'll impart that color and richness. Um, typically, I've seen three to seven years, but honestly, I check up on about a half a dozen fences that we've done in the area. Some I've done over 10 years ago. And because there's no flat areas where water and sun just beats down on they're all kind of vertical. They're still looking good. So it's one of those things where I don't promise my clients a decade, but I'm looking at these fences saying, boy, when you really saturate that wood and it's vertical like that, it lasts a long time. So setting proper expectations, three to seven years, but I've seen examples of, of seven plus 10 plus. So now This is a deck where the client said, I'm sick of coating it every one to two years. I don't even want two to four years. I want something longer than that. And we say, listen, we're gonna have to go to a solid color then." and as clients, as long as you're okay with not seeing any of the wood grain, this is a paint-like finish, we're perfectly fine with doing this. So you can see the before and after of a deck that we did with solid color acrylic uh, years ago, where we washed it, we sanded it, and we put two coats. You're gonna need two coat system of the solid color. Yes, you can get by with one coat, but here's the difference. You can see this deck here where it's got some existing finish and then some bare wood. When you put a solid color acrylic or a solid color oil deck stain on, it'll penetrate into the bare stuff and sit on top of the existing finish and you're going to get shiny and dull spots. So what you want to do is put that second cone on to even out the shine. And I'm going to show you an example here. This is an example of that. So, So you can see... This has a little bit of sheen, and I think this is probably the best angle to see this at, which is bare wood, one coat. You can see it's kind of dull, and then two coats evens out that shine like that. And the good thing about um, when a client asks you to paint their deck, do not paint their deck. Do not take a latex or acrylic or uh, anything like that and paint and put it on a deck because the underside of that deck is open you're creating a rubberized seal on the top. And when the moisture tries to evaporate through that deck and dissipate through that deck, it's going to create crazy blisters, sometimes even weeks after you do it. A solid color acrylic or oil stain is there to mimic paint, but it penetrates way, way deeper into that wood than a paint does. So you can prime and stain decks, which I've done in the past too. That's a fine system, but it does create a little more of a shell. I would always go two coats of solid color acrylic or solid color oil stain on those projects like that. And in in fact, when we do siding, that's wood siding, my preference is not primer and paint. It's actually solid color stain because we actually get more life out of that because normally lots of bad things have been done to wood sided houses over the years, primers and paints and stains and this and that. If we can pressure wash and sand and get that uh, most of that coating off or at least prep it to a part where it's all stable, two coats of a solid color stain will penetrate into the areas it needs to create a finish. Solid color stains fade before they peel typically. Latex and acrylic paints peel before they fade, if that makes any sense. So you do not want a peeler. I would much rather have a house fade where you apply another coat than a house that peels where you have to now prep it all, sand it all, prime it and then do it again. And typically what I've seen um, three to five years on a solid, I've seen them last longer. On a, on a house, people always ask, how long does a paint job or a stain job last? And I will always say the over under is seven years. The south side of your house, up here in the uh, northern part of the country, you're gonna get a lot of exposure and you may need something between one and five years. The north side of the house, which is always in the shade, may go five to 20 years, give or take. Now the problem is something's gonna need it in the first couple years, something's gonna need it in year 20, When do you repaint the house? The over and under is about seven years. You have to determine with the client what they deem as, you know, uh, what they want as a standard for their house. Setting client expectations. This is the biggest thing. We used to have a lot of callbacks on decks. And I, it was just mind-boggling. I was like, man, we're doing a really good job with these things. And I came to realize it wasn't our prep process. It wasn't our coding. It wasn't our client care process. It was actually setting improper expectations. So here, here was the problem early on uh, with my process. 15 years ago, I would go up to a client and they would say, well, how long is this going to last? And i say, man, we're going to do such a good job with this deck. We're going to prep it. We're going to wash it. It's going to be awesome. What I didn't do was say anything specific. What the client heard was, hey, I feel like this is gonna last a lifetime. What I was saying is, no, listen, this is a maintenance thing. You're gonna to have to do it every one to three years, no matter what. Because I didn't say it specifically, the client took it to be something else. So this is what we do. Cabot has technical data sheets, TDSs. You can actually look there and it tells you how long this finish is gonna last. There is a maintenance section one to two years on decks and one to three years on siding and fences. All of our callbacks on decks went away after I printed these out. And during the sales process, I showed them to the client. Cause when I said, listen, if you want that natural cedar deck, those beautiful kind of, you know, wood tone things, you might have to do it every year. You could probably get away one to three years, but it's going to be probably every, every one to two years. And they'll be like, Oh my God, that's so much work. What the heck? And I'll say, listen, this isn't me trying to sell you a stain job, a deck job. Here's the actual technical data sheet from the manufacturer that says it needs to be done at this time. And boy, am I glad that I moved Ask a Painter inside. It is green skies and pouring rain out there right now. So, wow. Uh, So, yes, these are free on the website. You can just print these things off and, uh, and give them to clients. And so, again, just being honest, setting proper expectations. This solves most deck problems. Staying in process. You have to do a good job. But this will solve more problems with client interactions than any stain or process will. And then, of course, my info sheet. This is something that we lay out everything very specifically about moving the furniture, cutting the bushes back, um, you know, waiting to put furniture back on, things like that. Setting proper expectations for deliverables. I will give you this client if you give me this, and that's very important to make sure that jobs go smooth. Same thing with the SOP there, too. So this is something that uh, this is the SOP checklist that we actually um, uh, that we actually, uh, you know, have in the field laminated. But then I showed you guys my actual training SOP, which we sit down and work with people. The next component of this is, is obviously in person in the field training where we'll actually pick a deck and then I'll go out there with my people and show them mixing the chemicals, applying it. Here's what actually scrubbing looks like. Here's what washing looks like things like that. And I'm gonna get to your guys um, questions here in just a second. So if you guys want a copy of my SOP for decks, if you want a copy of my info sheet as always, uh, because uh, you guys are nice enough to watch uh, and share and like Ask a Painter and leave me good recommendations uh, and reviews, I'm gonna give you a set of these if you email me. So I'll leave this up on the screen. Let's see if we can get one of these things here. So let's go through, man, you guys got a lot of questions today. This is awesome. So. Good morning, Michael Crane, Nick Nagel. All right, let me get my screen bigger. There we go. All right, Uh, good morning, Mr. Blackhurst, Nick Nagel. Good morning, Nick. Curious what sanders you recommend for prepping decks prior to applying stain. You guys know I'm a huge fan of surf prep. Uh, Not only just the random orbital sander, the ray, but the three by four awesome things especially for sanders and things or spindles and things like that if i'm being honest any random orbital sander does a pretty good job on that stuff so uh, i'm a big fan of somewhere between 100 and 180 grit i don't think there's any reason to do 200 grit on a deck i think that's too fine um for decks that are really old and craggy we go down to 80 grit to kind of just start smoothing it out because if you go with a 180 on a deck that's kind of rough and and has a lot of bad things done to it over the years the, the paper's going to clog up right away. So, honestly, it, when I do decks, uh, I keep it simple. I have 80 and I have 120 or 150, and that's plenty good. Because remember, you're dealing with a piece of outdoor porous wood, and it's almost better to leave it smooth to the touch, but open pores and porous so that stain soaks in. If you do 220, 300, 400, you're going to polish that deck and that wood or that stain's not going to penetrate as much. Let's go to the next one. Good morning, Mr. Blackhurst, David Kelly. I uh, got my exterior look going on. <laughs> yes, I did make a big facial hair change this week. Uh, Mr. Cade, love to see you, Mr. Cade. Al Brown from Florida. Good morning. <laughs> Angel's going to prep a pergola. Awesome. Wow. It is. Uh, I envy you because it is nasty and green and pouring rain outside here. So uh, here we go. Travis, I've struggled with pricing on decks. So many variables and different conditions of decks. What's your simple pricing guide? Yes, so you guys know that I have created. Um, I have created and and with, I've created children's books for estimating. They have pictures. They have square footage and price right on them because we want a simple estimating process for people to come up with a ninety-five percent accurate price in about less than a minute. And those kind of uh, help you with that. And then there's variables that we take into it. So honestly, Travis, uh, without showing you that book, I, that, that's probably the one thing I don't really share for my business. But typically what we find is there's three kinds of decks. There's a small one, a medium, and a large one. And we kind of dance around you know, maybe 1,800 for a small one, 2,500 for a medium and about 3,400 for a big one, give or take. Seems like a lot of money until you get into the process of uh, doing it between the washing and then the drying days and then the sanding and the cleaning and the stains are super expensive and the process of staining it and keeping everything clean. And uh, so that's kind of what we what we go on for those decks. I know it's not helpful because you're not seeing the pictures, but generally that's kind of how we how we mess with that. All right, let's see what else we got here. Oh, Brandon, how's it going, man? I thought you couldn't get any more cooler but mustache says otherwise. That's a pretty nice compliment. Uh uh the mustache is kind of a thing where I've never had one so I just tried it. It's not a uh it's not a super intentional thing. So uh you're in Vanderburg. How's it going, man? <laughs> yeah, Jeffrey. Yeah, my my logo up in the corn up in the corner up there. Yeah. We may have to get a, another modified one here, so <laughs> Uh, Mr. Cade just made a post about blasting where the pressure washer. Thank you for teaching the correct way. Agreed. So now we do a dumbed down version, a simplified version of soft washing. There are people like Christian Militello uh, who teach me a lot of this stuff and have taught me a lot of this stuff who have complete box trucks with specialized equipment, monstrous uh, p- bits of machinery and stuff that do pure soft washing, high, high test chemicals, low pressure water, uh, really, really fast sort of action stuff. We kind of do a simpler version of that because we don't really need that that much. And we like to keep a light footprint. We don't like to have an $80,000 rig just dedicated to this. So we kind of do a modified version, a simpler version of of pure soft washing. Yorin, why do you move the furniture for the customer? I mean, if you break it, you replace it. Yeah, so this is one of those things where honestly, it's never been a problem. So uh, typically why we do this, in a perfect world, the client would move it all and then move it all back. But we know that people get busy And they just, you know, over the weekend, they're having a good time, having a barbecue, and they don't end up moving all their furniture on a Sunday night or a Monday morning. And so we get there. And honestly, it takes about six minutes. So we don't care. But we're always we also then don't want them to assume that because we moved it for free, we're going to move it back for free. So we just set the proper expectations with that. Um, Another thing people always forget, too, that's in our info sheet is sprinkler systems, which is a disaster if if people leave their sprinkler systems on which every sprinkler sprays everything around it they're never really calibrated well we can actually show up to a job getting ready to stain and the sprinkler's on and it's whiting the deck. Now we might have to wait another couple of days. And we we do not get very punitive with clients, but we are very upfront and honest with them about sprinklers, which is we have to charge you a, a trip charge. If we show up to Stain and your sprinkler is on, you have been briefed on this before, it does cost our crews something because now we have that lost time. So that's the part where we do actually say, you know, it does, we are going to charge you a trip charge for that. So, Holly, how's it going? Holly Barlow, uh, <laughs> how much? <laughs> yeah. How do you estimate these? So I did a little bit of that before. Um, if you guys want to discuss uh, pricing of decks, certainly via email, I can I can give you a hand with that. Not a big deal. Uh, Oscar. Oh, I got to meet Oscar at the uh, expo. It's awesome there. <laughs> uh, what size tip are you using when you apply your stain? I like very small uh, tips on there. So anytime we use like a translucent, I'll go like a 308. You want a very small nozzle, a very concentrated pattern. There's not many times where I find a use for anything in a four series, a five series tip, because you're just fanning out all the material all over the place. So I want a very concentrated effort. Even a 208, 308, something like that seems to be really good. Mm, Let's see here. Oh, Alex Sawatsky, fellow Minnesota painter here. Bidding two decks today. Can't wait to hear back. Yeah, I I can't wait to get outside on the exterior stuff as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) <laughs> too much liability on decks with weather doing application we stop yeah you know there's a lot of people who who uh, don't like the variables on it um i've been doing them for 30 years and uh, we have a great system down and we know the risk we know the variables and we just work around it like that and it's it's just something we're willing to do uh we don't go into it not taking those into account so it's just a, a choice you have to do there so all oh, mrs fink lauren how's it going today uh, robust i'm studying this deeply what's your typical production hour goal for the average size deck so depending on what we price it for we do not estimate by measuring a deck and then overlaying an hour production rate on that because we are a training company and our production rates vary wildly depending on experience so what we do if we have a here i'll get Well, my phone's not there but what i can do is um so if you take a, a deck that you um This is just a general theory. If you sell a deck project for $1,000, I minus out materials, which would be estimated 15%. So you have $850 uh, to use for revenue, overhead, and profit. I like to then divide that revenue by your revenue per hour goal. So let's say it's $65 an hour. So I would say you take that 850 divided by 65, that'll tell you how many hours you want to get that deck done in order to produce $65 an hour. So that is a much simpler way. And especially for me, when our production rates are all over the place, that's the most accurate way that I estimate the time that you need to get a deck done like that. But Lauren, as always, you know, you got a direct line of communication with me and we can discuss that anytime. Alex, six inch board, six inch brush. Yeah, that's a big boy, man. (laughs) Nick Nagel. All right, uh, probably dumb question. If you're restaining a deck with a transparent stain after washing, drying, are you essentially scuff sanding the surface prior to staining instead of fully sanding to raw wood? What if they are choosing, oh, cut off your question. What if they're choosing a new stain color? Yeah, so to me, there's two options. There is sanding to make smooth and there's sanding to remove all the stuff. And those are two options. And one of those, the client has to choose. Sanding to make smooth is included in the price sanding to remove all the coating is a completely other process That's a line item that they choose or not choose with a separate price attached to it so one thing that we set proper expectations with is if you choose not to have us strip every bit of this deck You are going to have existing finish on there and you are going to be able to see it through the finish now we will spec a finish in a color that hopefully will blend it all in but it's two choices. It's gonna cost more to get rid of all that stuff. It's gonna cost less to leave some in there like that. So no, um, let me make sure I answer your question here. Are you essentially scuff sanding the surface prior to staining? Yes. And scuff sanding, it in effect, it helps absorption of the stain, but really what we're doing, anytime you add water to bare wood, it's going to raise the grain and make it a little bit furry, sometimes really furry. We just want nice smooth deck boards again. So the standard, let me pull it out here for you. So you can see this, this is a washed and sanded deck board. So there's gonna be crags, there's gonna be things in there. There's gonna be knot holes and screw holes and things like that, but we do want it smooth to the touch. This is, it's still a a raw piece of wood, but it's smooth. What we're not doing is polishing it uh, like that because we do want the stain to absorb. How do you charge for the sanding of decks? Uh, So this is something where you just have to do a couple decks, figure out how many hours it goes into it and then use that You know by your hourly rate and go forward nate that's just something where you got to collect the data do a few you've probably done a bunch of decks uh in your life you just got to think about you know if it's a week of sanding for one person that's 40 hours if your goal is to make 65 dollars an hour it's 40 times 65 that's what you would charge to sand a deck so travis this is helpful thank you how many days on average does it take your cruise on a small medium deck uh with two people we'd like half a day two-thirds of a day depending on the actual size Larger decks and maybe multiple days. Smaller decks, we want to get those done in probably less than half a day, give or take. Jason Paris. Oh yeah, look at oh, uh, very ironic for a guy who's got a crazy mustache in the actual picture of his uh, Facebook icon. So, Jason, I took inspiration from you. Well done here. So. Uh, da, 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 da so you see my email address right there matt as always you got my email search your email nick slavic we've corresponded before it's all there for you there so (laughs) oh jason paris yep no that's okay man i get (laughs) you mario lopez good info thanks a lot i appreciate that all right jesse good morning nick I was being prepared in Minnesota right now. We have a soft wash division. We only uh, high-pressure wash steel, stucco block, wood siding, and decks. Uh, decks wood siding and decks get soft wash scrubbed with light pressure and rinse. Don't drive high pressure. It, yeah, that's awesome. Coming from a guy who knows, that's a wonderful thing. I love that a lot. Jason Woods. Oh, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate that. That's nice of you to say. Professional advice. Morning, Nick, uh, from Joe Thisius. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely happy to do that. Nick Nagel, uh, Jesse, we use a media blaster for full product removal around 1500 for average deck. Yeah, I love that too. We actually got hooked up with a media blaster uh, in Minnesota here. We have yet to work on a deck project with them, but uh, it's always been something on my mind. Uh, the only thing I'm really cautious about is they do, any media blaster tends to remove a little bit more than chemicals. And so you gotta be really careful that the wood can, can take it there. And uh, boy, huge shout out to this guy, Shane. Shane, thank you so much for uh, watching this, washing. Shane, many, many years ago, taught me everything I need to know about this stuff. Again, I was that guy out there with an industrial pressure washer, wobble tip, cranking it up, buzzing it off the deck, sanding it. We got really good results, but I started watching Shane's stuff and he started commenting on my stuff and said, hey, Nick, you know, there's a better way out there. And he basically just gave me all his knowledge. So the system that we've created now, largely was created with Shane's help and then uh, Christian Militello helped me find it over the years but Shane actually you would love to know this me and my shop manager were working on the next level of like the chemicals and stuff and we've actually went through all of our old messages from years and years and years ago and I was taking notes and watching your videos again and seriously if you guys do not follow Shane Shane is the ask a painter version of stain and soft wash. He, he has all the processes down. He does magical work and honestly, some of the most satisfying videos I've ever seen in this industry. So Shane, from myself and the entire industry, thank you, man, especially you giving your knowledge to us house painters, because there's dudes like wood restorationists like you that, that solely do that, that have it dialed in. There's soft washers, there's house washers and things like that who have these things dialed in. But sometimes those people have a tendency to look down upon us common house painters because we are still pressure washing and blasting things away. But you're looking to improve the industry. You're looking to help us improve. And seriously, Shane, hats off, man. Like you are a giver and I can't thank you enough for helping with all this stuff, too. So, all right, everybody. That's about it for today. Uh, I really appreciate everybody watching. And again, my email is here. If you want an SOP, if you want an info sheet, you know how to get a hold of me. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask you for a kind review or a nice recommendation on Facebook, give or take. So, the kindest thing you can do right now for this show is to just hit share. If everybody hit share right now, we can get a hold of many, many more people. Professionalize the industry. Spread the word. I want to thank the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association. Huge, huge um, uh, uh, holders of the training of this industry. This is an amazing, amazing resource. More people need to know about this. In the next year or two, Jason Paris and I are going to be at the helm of this thing. And our edict, our our big push is going to be to expose the industry to this stuff. Because Jason has been exposed to it. I've been exposed to it. And it's changed our lives. And it's an amazing thing. We want others to do the same thing. Also, thank you, Cabot, for giving us the resources and the ability to underwrite this show and then share it with other people and for allowing me to kind of dance through your catalog, pick out the stuff, show some examples of things I've done. And uh, it doesn't go unnoticed. And everybody here watching does appreciate you very much. So thanks, everybody. Um, James Dempsey, if you're considering the PCA, get a hold of me, man. Um, I'm not a company man for it, but I will tell you my experience with it and how it's helped me and then let you make your own decision. So all right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you guys do for this. Thank you for spreading the words. And just thank you guys for being there and trying to professionalize the industry. When people ask you how to price a deck, how to prep a deck, don't say, if you don't know already, you're a hack. You shouldn't own a business. Give them the information like Shane and Christian Militello gave to me years ago to help me professionalize. So, all right, everybody have a good weekend. We'll talk to you later.